welcome to the Shrink Think Podcast. I'm Aaron. And I'm Nathan, and we're both licensed professional counselors in Oregon, here to open up our lives and minds with you. We are your companion on the journey to grow your healthcare practice, yourself, and your relationships. To get you started, we've got a free email course on our website, shrinkthinkpodcast.com forward slash course, with practical steps on overcoming your fear and anxiety. Thank you for joining us on the Shrink Think Podcast. Welcome to the Shrink Think Podcast. We are here again, giving you fresh new content that is steaming hot from our brains to your ears, which sounds a little bit weird now that I say that. (laughs) It sounded cool in my head. We are going to be talking today about couples counseling. So we've talked before that if you are a parent of a child and you're bringing them into therapy, what are some things that you need to know about, some things to expect? to do that well, I guess. And so we want to do the same thing today, but talk about couples counseling, because it's one of those things that, Nathan, I don't know if you have gotten this from people, but um, as people email or they call or text or whatever, and they're like, oh, we want to come in, you know, for some marriage counseling or something with our relationship. Um, We are saying it's great, you know, come on in, we'll do that kind of stuff. Here's the paperwork. Well, there are all these questions, these things that you don't realize that paperwork and um, formalities and things that you do that are oriented really toward one person, even like having somebody in your system, we have an electronic health record system that generally has a spot for just one person. And so if you have two people for the same session, then you're like, wait, are we double booked? Are we paying twice (laughs) for that one session? No, that's not how it works. Yes, you are. <laughs> With Nathan, you are. <laughs> so those are the kinds of things that it's like, okay, well, how does this whole couples counseling thing even work? And then like, who is the patient, so to speak, in the room and all that kind of stuff. So um, let's get get it started with like, what are just some things when people are looking at couples counselors, what what should they be thinking about? Yeah, what should they be thinking about? Well, one thing that that I would just like to say in regards to looking for a couples counselor, it actually, I just want to honor the fact that it can be difficult because there's a lot of therapists that don't do it. Um, it's just the truth. I, I do it. I'm, I've found that there are some local people. I I mean, I, I'm just kind of a, I'm not really a generalist because I do specialize in trauma, but on the other hand, I had a couple come in and they were talking about something and I had to talk to their individual therapist and individual therapist goes, Oh yeah, well, you're my couples therapist referral. Like I'm, I said, what? Like how did, how did I get couple status? I mean, yeah, I do it, but do you even know him? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I do work with, couple. but it was weird. I was like, Whoa. And I, and then that was kind of a realization too, of like, wow. Yeah. A lot of therapists don't. And in, even in hiring people to work for me, it's very difficult to find somebody uh, to do it. And there's a big reason why, which you will experience in couples uh, therapy, because there's a huge difference between couples therapy and individual. One of the big differences is the therapist is typically a lot more involved, kind of directing traffic. The interventions that go on inside of couples therapy, there's a lot more psychoeducation. There's a lot more like, oh, you know, hey, well, you know, when she's saying that, you know, what women have a tendency to do is because I'm totally an expert on women. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, and the vice versa can speak to like, well, you know, typically this is like a general uh, and like normalizing the situation to kind of take the heat out of the room. 
Yeah, one example of that, I guess I would say is um, if I have one person in the room, we might talk about something and maybe they're quiet for a little bit and I'm I'm looking at them and just observing their reactions, um, any facial expressions, body posture, breathing, any any of that kind of stuff. And it's not really a whole lot to to monitor. You know, you just you're looking at the person like you normally do and you just notice those things. You're like, OK, I'll just give them some time. But when you have two people in the room on the couch, then I'm looking at, OK, I've maybe said something to both of them, maybe just to one of them. And maybe it's directed toward one of them. And so I'm like, as I say that, I'm, I'm looking at that one person. Then I'm also looking over at the other person, their partner. And I'm like, what are they thinking? How are they feeling? How are they responding? And then maybe they even look at each other. And then I'm observing all of that. And I'm like, oh, they just looked at each other. And then one of them had this reaction. I wonder what that's all about. And I'm just, I'm just noting that stuff, right? Observing in case there's something that needs to get brought up. So to your point, directing traffic, it's like, Directing one car versus directing multiple cars in an intersection. <laughs> Welcome to the Aeron microscope. Well, air traffic controller here. Um, oh, yeah. So I, I think one of the things that you said made me think about the time when you, I don't know if you still do this, Aaron, but you used to do those um, O2 sensors, uh, oxygen sensors on people mm-hmm. um, or the heart rate. Was it heart? Yeah, it's heart a heart rate, rate monitor, monitor or a um, pulse oximeter. That's what it's called. Uh, put it, you put it on your finger like in your thumb or something. And then uh, it takes your, your pulse and tells you like how much oxygen saturation is there. And then also what's your heart rate. So the reason you're doing that though, correct me if I'm wrong, is because in a couple's session, what you're actually going for is to understand engagement of like how much the person's body is responding, like their nervous system essentially is responding to statements that their spouse would make or partner would make or whatever, because for two reasons, one, um, they may not even know that they're doing it at all. And, and two, that their partner can realize that some of the things that they might be doing or saying is actually creating more of a stir inside the other person than either one of them realized. Right, exactly. So um, this is what we mean by like, there's just a lot going on because, you know, when it's just you, just an individual client, a therapist can say something and you know, maybe it has, it, it hits you a certain way, but like, I'm not in your life. So it's not like I'm directly involved and it's information that might be challenging or whatever, but it's not probably going to raise your nervous system. Like the, like your partner saying or doing something right. that directly affects your life. So all that's to say, you know, one of the first things to consider when, when looking for a therapist is Find somebody that, first of all, does work with couples that has experience with couples. Um, and a pulse ox. <laughs> and who has a pulse ox. Or bring your own. <laughs> if you have a Fitbit, Apple Watch, those kinds of things, they have those now, which is great. It's actually really helpful. Um, but yeah, one of the first things is make sure that the, the person does work with couples. Because if you inevitably have something that's more complicated, like you've got some conflict that you and your partner cannot resolve, or one or both of you have some childhood issues or some personal issues going on that are complicating the communication or your ability to get along. You need somebody who can be aware of those things. And also just be aware that as you go into couples therapy, there might be a time I'm going to just put this out there because it's going to be uncomfortable, but it's better for me to say it than for your your therapist to say it, and then everybody's uncomfortable then. Um, so just file this in your brain. If you go to couples therapy, your couple's counselor may suggest that one or both of you go to individual therapy. That's a normal thing. That, that's okay. 
It doesn't mean you're broken or something's wrong with you. It just simply means that maybe you've got some of your own hangups, your own baggage that needs to be dealt with in order for you to come to this relationship a little bit better equipped or prepared to do the kind of work that it requires for two people to do, which is actually a very complicated dance. Thank you for saying that too, Aaron, because the reality is, is that we spend as couples therapists quite a bit of time trying to respectfully navigate that very issue. Because think of it this way. If you have, say one of you um, is more anxious as a person, you have anxiety. The, the way your, your system is going to work, meaning you and your partner, is your partner is going to be used to your anxiety and is going to try to figure out ways to help you not be anxious. Because quite frankly, when you're getting anxious, you're being irritable and now your attitude sucks and your partner doesn't like that. So they're, they're editing all of their behavior, right? And so now you come into couples therapy, the therapist realizes like, okay, this person's pretty anxious, right? And, and the other person's spending a lot of time managing it and they're mad that they're managing it, but they can't say that because it'll just make everything more anxious. And now I have to say to you, like, yeah, you have a problem. (laughs) (laughs) It's you. You're the reason. (laughs) Well, then the reality is the issues that are making you anxious could be very valid issues. The problem is, is you have no idea how to monitor your anxiety. And so what's happening is you're never dealing with the issue, which means in couples therapy, we really can't either because you can't tolerate the distress to be able to deal with that. Yeah, and then you just mentioned there's this other dynamic that goes on that people don't realize that makes it difficult for us to say that is, and I'll put two two elements of that out there. Let's say um, we're guys and the um, we're saying that the partner that has the anxiety is the woman, okay? And so there's a guy in the room, the partner, and then there's the lady in the room who's got the anxiety And then there's the male therapist in the room saying to the woman, hey, I think you've got some anxiety. I think you might need an individual therapist. And of course, we try to say that as tactfully and and sensitively as possible. But one dynamic people don't realize is that now you have two men in the room saying to this woman, hey, I think there's something wrong with you or I think there's an issue going on. Nobody's trying to point the finger or blame. We genuinely want to help and see how this could be made better. But people inevitably will feel the weight of that. They might feel ganged up on if it even if there's not like this, you know, gender thing going on where you've got two guys saying this or um, two ladies saying something. If I'm the guy um, partner, then you're go- You're just going to feel ganged up on and that with an issue that you already feel sensitive about or insecure about or afraid of or whatever. You're you're going to feel that. But then the other thing that I think goes with that. I guess that that's the the two parts of it is that sometimes there's like this male female dynamic if you get too much ganging up on. But then also if everybody in the room, you know, is telling you that this is a problem, it just feels really difficult for people to accept and hear because it's like, oh, I thought we were talking about us in the relationship and my partner has problems. Now you're pointing the finger to me and it's me that's the problem. It's like, no, we're not really saying that. But yeah, you do have a problem that does need to get worked out. And that's a very delicate dance for couples counselors to do. Yeah, the other thing in relationship to that, but moving forward, is that if it could be that while you're in couples therapy, that the therapist realizes that, okay, uh, well, let me set this up a little bit. So one of the things that you're, as a couples therapist, that you're trying to do is you're trying to help each partner hear the other one out. And you're also trying to help them experience the truth that this other person has, right? But there can be times where 
um, sounds funny to say it like this, but it's not worth it. In other words, you as a therapist, like I might realize, well, this person's got a lot to say about this that the other partners heard, and I don't understand what they're talking about. Um, I, there's obviously a lot of story behind this. So I would like to see this person individually next week and not the couple. And then um, I, I have a rule about that, though, because um, in couples therapy, quantity matters um, actually in a lot of times more so than quality when you talk about separating the couple out. So what I want to do is if I see one individually, I want to see the other one individually as well. Uh, the reason for that is because just imagine if if somebody's story is just kind of a lot more complicated and you can kind of technically justify that you're going to see this person for the next two weeks in a row, right? And now you're doing couples therapy again, which has been on the third week. So one one partner has not seen me for three weeks and has heard from their other partner like, Oh, I saw Nate today. Next week. Oh, I saw Nate today. It was really helpful. I got to share this. He really gets me. <laughs> oh, yeah, that would be great. I mean, I hope that happens, but not like that. Um, but it just creates that dynamic where, you know, if you're, if I'm the other person, I'm like, oh, I kind of feel left out. Like, I don't know if he really gets me. Like, you're getting all this attention and all this understanding. All of a sudden, it appears in the room like I'm a part of a dynamic duo right so it's right. like i don't want to be a part of a dynamic duo. <laughs> like not in that way just with aaron <laughs> you're on the podcast yeah. for all you know after of the podcast after here <laughs> no, so the other thing that happens to us therapists that i'm going to tell you uh not to do um the person that's listening to this don't show up to your appointment early or well you can show up to your appointment early but if you're, for some reason, it just happens to work out that your partner's going to be about 10 minutes late, that is not your opportunity to go, okay, so I was just going to tell you this, but I, since he's not going to be here or since she's not going to be here, what your couples therapist should do is say, not nope. No, no, we're actually waiting for your other person. I'm not going to have this weird, because that puts the therapist in a, in a weird spot again. Because what if you tell this therapist something that, like, here's the big boy, the big enchilada. Okay, I've been having an affair, but it stopped. It's over. Um, we stopped it last week. Oh, wait, they're here. Okay, just don't, don't say anything. Okay. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> and you, you would be surprised. It's things like that. And, and maybe it's not like big enchiladas. Maybe it's just nachos or chips and salsa that they're putting out there. You know, but they're significant enough in the relationship <laughs> You just got that. I got no. I got it. It took him a little while. Oh my! <laughs> um, maybe, but those kinds of things actually do impact the relationship because now, as a couples counselor, we're sitting here with like, okay, well, I have this information, and how do I get this out? Because if this is in the system, this is in the couple's relationship, and one person knows, and now I know, and the other person needs to know on some level, whether it's to build trust, to repair some hurt or whatever. And I, I'm not going to be the one to say that because it's not my secret to tell, but it does need to be told. It's information that does need to come out and it needs to be between the, the individuals in the relationship, not between me and the person in the relationship. Yeah, not only that, but, but we are not those types of secret keepers. What I'll tell uh, my couple's clients is like, you don't, don't even tell me that like individually when it's not happening. Um, if the only way that that um, can be kind of held in, in a way just to put it out there is if there was a commitment to tell the truth and then I'm helping you tell it over the course of time, just for what it's worth. 
So you're putting your couples therapist in a very weird predicament because the reality is his or her client is both of you. So you can't, we can't hold this different type of secret back and forth. It's not fair to the other person that's in the room and it's not right at the end of the day. So it's, it's pretty difficult for us. Yeah. And that's just kind of circling back around to the very beginning of this episode. That's why I was saying this is a completely different beast. It's like you can, you know, put one person in your, your health record system, one person on file to fill out the paperwork. And and that is technically how you can set things up. I think in some systems you can have like both people be the couple. Um, but in those cases, I guess it's worth saying, we can talk about this briefly here that, um, most of the time insurance, if you're going to use insurance does not cover couples counseling. Um, if the couple is your client, the relationship is your client. Insurance is not going to cover that. Um, it, they will cover one person and the other person can show up and support that first person with their issue, their mental health diagnosis. And that's how you can build that out. But there has to be a legitimate diagnosis, like the anxiety you were talking about earlier. If somebody had some significant anxiety that was maybe causing them to not be able to go to work or um, flaking out on activities with the children, um, and the other partner had a lot of information, a lot of um, insight, guidance, things that they've tried. Uh, about that first person with the anxiety, it can be really helpful to have them in the room. And in that sense, that is not really couples counseling, although the couple is there. Yeah, you know, this part is actually really important. As you were talking, I realized um, some information, you know, we're talking about couples therapy, right? So, and part of that is getting it paid for. And this is also, there's a reason why some couples therapists will just not take insurance. Because from their from their position, ethically, they don't believe that one of you is the diagnosable person. They they are they want to look at both of you as the couple and the person, quote unquote, the the entity that they're treating. But insurance companies don't allow you to diagnose a relationship, right? You have to diagnose an individual. So all of a sudden, I mean, even in our notes, and I realize this may feel like it's getting in the weeds, but I want you to understand this. Even in our notes, we have to conceptualize the treatment for your couple relationship as how it is helping say one partner's anxiety reduction. And that can feel really weird as a couples therapist going like, I don't, this is not even really the thing. I'm like wasting my time writing this stupid note from this place. And so they're like, like, forget it. I'm not actually going to do insurance when it comes to couples therapy, but a lot of people don't really get that. And it can seem like we're trying to nickel and dime you. And I just want to speak for those therapists out there that are, they're not doing it that way. So when you're choosing or picking a couples therapist, it kind of not in summary, but circling back around, you you do you are probably going to end up looking for longer. It is going to probably be more difficult, especially in our current environment. And you can't assume that your normal therapist, um, this is the other big piece of the pie, is just going to go ahead and add your partner in, right? If you if you happen to already be seeing somebody, you're like, oh hey, can you just see us both? And even if it's only been one or two sessions. Your individual therapist who you like may not even see couples for the other reasons that we've been talking about. And so it, it could be a longer search. So in light of that, you probably need to get, get to searching a heck of a lot sooner and trust the fact that if the person doesn't want to see couples, it's because of everything worse than <laughs> right. like all these things. Because there's a lot of, it takes kind of a, you know, a certain personality, I think, to do couples therapy. You have to be kind of willing to jump out there. Yeah, in some ways it's kind of like 
if you are an individual therapist, you can be it's it's sort of like being an introvert in a way it, where it's like, OK, it's one person and you can have a conversation. But when there are two or more people in the room, like a family or whatever, then all of a sudden you feel like this bigger extrovert where it takes more energy from you. Like you said, you have to be more active in the session. We generally are guiding and directing things more, especially if there is a high conflict situation, then the couples therapist needs to be a whole lot more structured and directive in order to mitigate uh, the, the conflict, keep things calm. Because I guess in that, from that standpoint, it's worth saying that there is a certain level of safety that we're also trying to provide in the session, um, verbal and emotional safety so that someone doesn't you know, get too upset because, you know, you know, in your relationship that your partner triggers you, they, they really get under your skin. It's the person that you care the most about, but also the person that really grates at you and and can hurt you the most. And so we want to provide that safety while trying to work through those issues. And so that does take a certain amount of energy and a certain kind of a personality to be able to accomplish that. Yeah, the other piece there too, that we haven't really said is bias. I mean, with myself, I, I will tell couples openly, I am biased toward relationship, which means, and I'll do the scaling thing pretty often, where I'll, um, like I've, I got one couple that is like, okay, so I can't wait to tell you my number, and I don't give a, I don't give a crap what my spouse says because it should be higher, <laughs> like what, like, and the number is based on connection. I'll say, on a zero to ten, how connected do you feel, uh, and have you felt maybe the last couple of days or whatever. And so where I'm going with that is with the bias component, let's say that you tell me um, that you are a two. I'm probably, I'm, I am going to be, as far as like whether or not have how your commitment level is the relationship, I'm going to be a three. Um, I'll help you try to, I'll, I'll be just a little bit more like, a, <laughs> right. because my assumption is, is that you're coming in for help in your relationship. In, in light of that, I don't really like to do amicable divorces for that reason, because I know my bias. I, I'm, I'm like, what about the last chance? What if we help you know? <laughs> right. Yeah. And just in closing, I guess I would say one more thing that's kind of related is that just like in individual therapy, in couples therapy, it's not our job as therapists to tell you what to do. People will come in in those kinds of scenarios and they'll say, we see we just can't get along. Or maybe it's a, an individual talking about the relationship. Either way, it's like, you know, should should we just get divorced? Should we just, you know, not can we just not work this out? I'm like, that's not for me to say. I'm not going to tell you what you need to do. Maybe the evidence is pointing. It looks like it's going in one direction. Um, but for each person has their own decision to make for their own selves, their own relationship, because it's yours and not ours. It's not ours as a therapist. And so it's not our decision to make. So in that sense, we may be biased in one direction, you know, toward a relationship. But you may say, I just can't take it. I can't handle this. Nope, not going to do it. And all the evidence to you is pointing in that direction or whatever, however you you look at it. And we just have to say, OK, I mean, that's your decision to make. It's not it's not mine. Yeah. And even even in light of that, I want to say I'm not when <laughs> I'm not looking to pressure people and judge them like, well, you've made a horrible decision to get out of your relationship. And I don't think I come off that way at all. I think at the end of it, it's actually more ended if it's going to end because it's more obvious, like we have literally tried everything here type of a thing. So. With all of that, we hope this was informative and helpful. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to our show. Don't forget to head over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts to leave us a review and subscribe to our podcast so you never miss an episode. 
You can also visit our website at www.shrinkthinkpodcast.com forward slash course and sign up for our free email course, Nine Ways to Overcome Fear and Self-Doubt. And you'll get nine weeks worth of customized, practical strategies you can use to get past the fear that's holding you back in your life. Thanks again for listening. 